Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Uh, we have done probably well over seven or 800 episodes. We've never had a Red Sox player on our podcast until tonight. And um, the first player, maybe the only player for quite a while, is Jonathan Papelbon, my favorite player of all time. Uh, 2007, one of my favorite seasons of all time. And uh, so glad to have you on with us, man. Yeah, what's up, fellas? It's good to be on uh, tonight. You know, well, except for Charles, I don't know where the hell he's at. Like, it looks like it's daylight. He's... It is daylight out here. I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So when you come out here, just let me know. We'll grab so yeah, well, we're 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 on the better we're on the the, the better coast, the East Coast. No, I'm just oh, there it is. Yeah. So are you yeah. in Boston right now? No, I'm actually in uh, Mississippi right now. You're in Mississippi. Oh, right okay. Yeah. Is that where you're from? I thought you were from Texas. No, I'm originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Went to Florida, then decided to stay in Mississippi. Gotcha. Right okay. Cool. And I'm in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, originally from Maine. And Charlie's actually originally from Providence. So we are right. uh, New England all right, all right. born. So, all yeah. right, Charlie, let's just hit the ground running. Absolutely. You know, Terry, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. You know, Terry mentioned he was one of your favorite players. You are like one of my spirit animal Red Sox players. I'm so excited to have you here. Very blessed to have you here. So the first question that we have for you, everyone knows about your 2007 ALCS Papelbon jig dance. Which of your former teammates had the best dan dance moves outside of yours? Man, you know, that's a good Actually, I'm going to go I'm going to go with my Hebrew boy Kevin Euclid, man. Okay. You know, you know, you know they, they can get crazy at the bar mitzvahs, you know, you got to watch out. They're sneaky good dancers, man. So, uh, yeah, he was usually out on the field with me celebrating, man. So um, I got to go with my boy, Uke. That, That's amazing. That was like basically to me the most iconic moment of that season was. And I think it was the final game of that series when you guys were all out there. Just one of my favorite celebrations of all time. We had win dance repeat later on with Mookie, Ben and and Bradley. But that was like nothing. Compared yeah. To well, you know, you know, they uh, they tried to they give us like some kind of rule we couldn't celebrate on the field after that, but we were like to hell with that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and that that's what I loved about you guys. I like you guys were like the most authentic crew ever. I guess oh four too, but it's just like players just they play it safe these days, and they're that type of authenticity just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you know, um, I've had a real problem with it when I left the game. Uh, actually, when I left, man, I just – I was like, this game's not for me anymore. But, um, you know, the game evolves, and now kids are more worried about, you know, the home run dance or the trot or the handshake, you know. Um, back then, we were more worried about, you know, coming to your town, kicking your ass, and drinking your beer. You know, that, <laughs> that's – that's all we were worried about. Yeah. We weren't worried about nothing else. You know, Big Poppy did his thing, but, you know, it's it's nothing compared to what it is nowadays. Uh, and I, I miss that so much. So Terry Francona, in my opinion, is the greatest manager of the 21st century. Would you agree with that, having played for him? Um, 
21st century, I guess, how, 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 how long does that go back? Let's see. To the, the last uh, 23 years. Yeah, 80s. We're talking eight. Yeah, so you could go back that far. Here. So, um, yeah, I, there's been a lot of good managers. Don't get me wrong. I think uh, Terry Francona was a pioneer of become. I, I will give him this. He was the pioneer of becoming uh, the 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 manager that knew the pulse on the team and the team psychiatrist. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what he. I can promise you this on the 2004, 2007, eight, nine, all, all the way through, uh, he was a psychiatrist, man. And he knew how to get the best out of his player. And he knew how to also, you know, approach that player and deal with that player. And whether it was Manny and him having a bench man, man, look, when you bench a guy like Manny Ramirez, everybody else follows in suit. They follow along, you know, um, you know, nowadays you don't necessarily see that happening either. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely definitely one of the top, for sure. Actually, I'm going to go out of order here, Charlie, since he brought up Manny. I, I was going to ask you, um, what was it like to be his teammate? Because he's another guy where there's no player like him. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, um, there was a few different Mannies you had to deal with, you <laughs> know, um, but you and it was, you know you never quite knew what you were going to get, which what you were going to get, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you knew he was going to post up every day. He posted every day, man, and um, you know he helped us win. And you know whether it's Kevin Yuka's getting into an argument with him in the bench that one day, or you know it, me behind the scenes, everybody else behind. You know you have all these. Um, egos in a clubhouse man and it's hard to uh, get 25 major egos to all mesh it's just and but when you do boy you have a secret recipe if somehow we were all able to mesh and um i think that's that that was a culture that we created man and you know now being with nesson man it's like shit we're, we're, we can't lose this culture man y'all don't let it go and you know that's one of the things i stress and you know, I know let Bloom go now, and I think, um, you know, my gut tells me Hazen. Uh, I don't. I'm not in the front office. Don't quote me on that. I'm just giving you what Papelbon's gut feels like. Um, I think he knows the culture of this team. I think he knows what to expect here. He knows what he's signing up for. You don't win a, a pennant or a World Series, go home. And I think, um, I think he'll do a good job. But we'll, that's to be seen. Uh, I heard Brunson Arroyo tell a Manny story once and Arroyo, apparently it was his ritual to take a quick power nap before every game. And uh, one day he was starting, he takes his nap, he wakes up and Manny is spooning him. <laughs> does, does that sound like yeah. a, a day in the, you know, the Red Sox? That That is a very, very calm and easy day <laughs> okay. with uh <laughs> With what was uh, going on, um, you know that that's the thing. Manny could be spooning you on the couch or coming after you with a bat. You never know. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Um, yeah. So I mean, but you know what? We um, once you step foot in that clubhouse, we were a brotherhood. We were, um, and you know, brothers fight and brothers get through things and brothers win championships. It's it's just kind of like me and my brothers in the house, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, totally fair. Um, so was 
with that being said, since we're talking about a little bit of the past, was there a player in the batter's box that you wanted to strike out every single time you saw them? No question. Alex Rodriguez. I mean, <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. There was no, there's, there was no fans or butts about it. If, um, you know, there were times where I had to throw in and if it hit him, it hit him. And I wanted to strike him out. Those are my two options there. Um, but you know, he was great hitter. You can't take anything away from him, but he was that Yankee that I just wanted to pummel. Um, you know, Derek Jeter didn't run. I, I didn't really. Yeah, you know, G was G. You know, he'd get a little blue hit over first baseman or something. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't buy. I wanted. You know, I just, I just wanted him. You know, I don't know. That was a very I satisfying argue- answer. Ryan yeah, Dempster absolutely. famously plunked him uh, when he came back from a suspension, and the cool thing about that was it was in September 2013, so right before another world series it was just kind of one of those moments that just kind of fired up the team a little bit 2018 we had we had joe kelly you know and yeah, it never gets old. it never gets old whether it's joe kelly dimp or a rod getting his ass kicked by tech you know I yeah, mean, it never never gets old man you know and uh that actually kind of leads me in you're like giving us the the perfect cue so was tech the yeah, best? Good segue. I learned how to do segues on this. Okay. <laughs> well, we're yeah, we're you're bossing it right now. Far more amateur uh, than that we are. I mean, um, so Jason Veritek was he the best catcher you ever had in your career? Yeah, no for me, no question. Um, for me, it was a no brainer. Uh, you know, speaking of tech, I mean, there were times when tech was my my uncle, my older brother, and there were times where. <laughs> You know, I need a chokehold in the clubhouse. Like, please let go. I need a pitch tonight. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he he taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to be – create an ownership for myself and be my own coach and my own individual, my own person, and learn how to pitch that way. And, you know, I mean, I went to him for thousands of bits of advice, you know, even when I was like, Hey, a starter or a closer tech. And he was like, Hey man, listen, you're going to be good at both. It'd be great, but you do what that heart desires and, and you're going to have a healthy and strong career and you're going to do what you love. And so I chose that way, but just little things like that, you know, you could always go to him and I never forget one time, uh, Phil was throwing, um, Bill was throwing uh, no hitter, eight and two thirds in Oakland, and he didn't shake off Veritek the entire game. Last hitter that comes up, he shakes him. What happens? Base hit, Ugh. and and no Kurt Schilling undeniably comes into the dugout, and he's like, "I don't shake. What the fuck was I doing? I don't shake off the best damn catcher in baseball," and. You know, everybody was like, yeah, you dumbass. What were you doing? You know, wow. like you just threw eight and two thirds shut piece and you just shook them. Like what? Huh? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It, you, you know, Terry talked about something where he said, you know, you got the segue thing down. Literally, you've got everything lined up. It's like you've got our, our, our playbook <laughs> here. As a former starter turned elite closer, what advice would you give a pitcher in the Boston Red Sox organization or any organization for that matter? This, like, what advice would you give to someone facing that same situation, moving from a starter to a closer or a reliever? 
Well, look, at the end of the day, um, I think you find your niche. You don't necessarily may find that in the in the beginning. I mean, look, you got like Hauk, Whitlock. Uh, I mean, you go, you know, all these guys. They don't start a reliever, you know, Cutter Crawford, start a reliever. You know, everybody's, you know, but at the end of the day, a lot of times the the team that's built around you will decide that. Um, but for me, um, in my situation, it was more like I'm starting, and I did. I don't know if I was like too ADD enough or what, man, but I could not sit on the bench for five days. It drove me nuts, man. And so I wanted to play every day I could. And I knew that. And then um, we were in the spring training. I was six. Yeah, I was six. We were in spring training. And Francona and uh, T- Theo at the time were like, yeah, you're going to start this year. I'm like, man, I really don't want to start. I think I could be a good reliever because I was a reliever in the bullpen in 05 when we were in the playoffs. We got beat by the White Sox, and I felt good. But anyway, long story short, they're like, nah, you're starting, Pat. I'm like, nah, I don't want to start. Like, Pat, you're starting. I was like, all right, hey, y'all make – you know, I'm in the office with Theo and Tito. I'm like, hey, y'all make a deal. If we don't have a closer by a week or two left of spring training, and in and, and hindsight, I knew what we had in the bullpen, so I knew I, was, I could close, right? And I knew I knew what was going to happen, really. And so uh, I said, if you can't find a, a, a closer by the end of spring training, you got to give it to me. It's done. Like I'm not starting. He said that's a deal. Well, the week into it, I, I stroll into his office. And I rode a motorcycle back then. And Theo was like, "Number one, get off the damn motorcycle. Number two, you're our closer. Are you happy?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm happy." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, and then that's kind of how it worked, man. Is there a that's it? Is there a young pitcher right now, currently in the Red Sox organization, that you think could be the next great closer? Have you identified anyone? No. Okay. They don't have anybody. No. no. With the, 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 you know, right now, um, you know, I know Greenville. I think Greenville just won their. Uh, they won the league. There's some there's some talent in the in the, in the minor leagues, um, but I don't know, and it's different now because they play the role and the the um, the leveraging's different. You know, I know they have Kinley still in a traditional closer's role, but I don't know about that. I mean, like, I I don't see anybody coming up, you know, here soon. No, I don't. I was just wondering uh, about Hauk. I was wondering if if you might throw his name out there. I just like his poise. And there's been this debate for two years. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? You know, he has time, has trouble going past the second time of the order. And I think looking, I mean, we need at least two starting pitchers this year from the free agent market or trade. (laughs) No question. So I just, maybe we don't have the luxury. No question. Yeah. No question. Uh, Look. Whoever comes in here, y'all see my baby girl? Oh, yeah. Say hi. Hello. How Say are you? So whoever comes in here next, man, is there is no question about it, period. In the discussion, the first matter at hand is two starting pitchers. If you do not go out and get any starting pitching, you're going to see the same effects as you did this season where your bullpen throws more innings than anyone in the major leagues. And then your starters go out with a a knee here or, you know, shoulder here for a couple weeks. Then you tax them even more. Um, 
look, their lineup. I, I feel like their lineup is fine. Like that. Like, and they can they can input some little piece here or there, but all of their all of their offseason acquisitions need to be eighty percent into the bullpen or the starting staff. And you know, you got JT coming back. You got Duran coming back. Who I like. Um, the, the Raphael kid, who knows if he's going to play infield or outfield? I don't know, but we'll see. Um, so, you know, it's a to me. This is if I'm the GM, this is not a rebuild. This is not a rebuild. This is a reload. You have you have the you have enough to reload, not have to start over and rebuild. Right. I think it's really important to, to look at it from that perspective too. Uh, you know, before the year started, I remember like our, our podcast got destroyed by some of the listeners and, and people and out there because we said we're, we're still missing people. We're still missing like starting pitch, pitching is not a position of depth. Like I've been using that term very regularly because we've been getting hammered as far as our rotation is concerned. People going down, people not coming back, people still not able to go two, three times to the rotation and whatnot. So Oh, look, I'm they got, with you. They got to win four more games to hit their overmark of 78.5 wins this year. I said that, 78 was going to be the number this year. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. We um, got but, three against Chicago, so that they're going to give you your best chance. But right. having played under ha- – having seen how the whole Bloom regime played out, do, do you – are you thankful that you were in the Epstein regime where he just always seemed to kind of give you guys what you needed to be competitive? No question. And Bloom's biggest mistake to me was at the trade deadline when you are right in the thick of it, no questions asked, and all you need to do is go make a go. You had Gia You had so many starting pitchers you could have got went out and got at, at the deadline, and you do nothing, and then you call your team underdogs. Man, if I'm in that clubhouse, I look, I've been in the clubhouse. Then It's different now. The GMs are always in there. I mean, I've been in there when Theo would walk in and Kevin Millar would be like, Theo, what are you doing in our club? Get the hell out of here. You know, like, it, like, just like, I would make a phone call. I would, I, there would be 25 guys wanting to know why the hell you said that about our team. You know what I mean? It just does, it never, never sat well. Didn't, I know it didn't sat, sit well with me, so I know it didn't sit well with them. So, um, you can't, like I said, it's a culture here in Boston. And um, if you're not part of that culture of, you know, get rich or die trying or win at all costs or, you know, go out there and post up every night. Man, people in Boston don't give a shit about the guy that barely plays. They don't give a shit about, you know, the guy that's always hurt. They want their Pedroyas. They want their guys that post up, man. They want gamers. They don't. They don't want babies, man. That's how it is, and that's what you sign up for. Um. So you you definitely think the the trade deadline was the turning point? Like there was just no. no question. Yeah. Okay. No question about it. We we argue we we, we weren't a Heim Bloom podcast, and the the moment he signed. Kluber was was it for me I was like we're we're not going to be competitive I thought we were going to my number was 74 wins Charlie went a little above me with 78 um we had a we got six guys on our crew some of them were in the low 80s but none of us had them into the playoffs and you mentioned Hazen like you really think because I from the outside looking in and you're way more you talk to way higher up people than we do but I just think 
Man, all I talk to is Jim Rice, man. Come on. He ain't that high. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great guy to talk to. I, ha- I had to get him, you know. I'm just, just we're going we're off the tracks compared to what our plan was, but that's fine. We're we're good with it. Um I'm so entertained by um Darnell McDonald. I don't know what it is. It's his awkward disposition, but I, I've never watching you guys on the post game, whatever combination it is, is just so entertaining. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we got a good mix going there at the crew. Um hopefully we can keep it going. But the thing that I like best about all of them and um even Tom Karen, man, it's everyone there holds that culture very dear to their heart. I mean, they live and die at Nesson. The Red Sox own them. I mean, nobody in that organization was happy about, you know, being in last place four out of the five last year or or second or last. I'm sorry. One of the two. And to me, you know, I mean, it just – that culture cannot exist for you know that long. You got to get rid of that. So, right. It seemed like that winter weekend where uh, I I don't know if you followed it, but they were you know meeting and greeting the fans at either Foxwoods or Mohegan, and it just turned into this angry mob against Bloom, <laughs> and they just completely lost control of everything. And Bloom was like kind of defiantly defending all his moves up to that point, and. And the thing was, the team had been assembled by that point. I think maybe the only thing that hadn't been addressed was Story's injury and then Adam Duvall coming in. But it was just, man, it was a shit show the whole year. (laughs) Yeah, there's no question about it. But, you know, the good thing about John and Linda Henry, you know, your principal owners, I know know one damn thing. Linda's face is all over that stadium. John's a, a very active owner and... He, he gives them enough payroll to win. I will say that much. If you can't win with over $200 million and you don't believe. So at, at the end of the day, they want to win. And they're not going to stand for, for being at the bottom of the barrel. And that you got to respect that. And, it, and, and, and when you're a GM, you know what you signed up for when you come here. We, I, I fight the, the pro Bloom guys. We call them the Bloominati. And <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are, man. Um, and they're, they all theorized that, that Bloom had all these mandates. He couldn't spend, he couldn't be aggressive. And do you disagree with that? I don't disagree with it. I know okay. that that's false. Okay. Uh, there's no disagreement there to be had. You know, fact is the fact. Um, uh, Don Browski got the same thing. It, there was, that's all bullshit. I agree. That, that's how, how I felt about it. I mean, he was over the tax last year. So yeah, man, come on. Right. So I, I just, I, I didn't now I see why you call him the Bluminati. Okay. Yeah. Those people, <laughs> those people before the start of every season, they would praise bloom for everything he did and, and express extreme optimism that we're making the playoffs. And it was only in September when that clearly wasn't going to happen or August even then it was ownership's right. fault. <laughs> so I just, yeah. I'm just so glad, you know, it, it was a huge W for us. Bloom getting fired was the best day in the existence of this podcast, aside from 2018, which was like yeah. our second year. So anyway, Charlie. Yeah, well, it was right. funny that I was doing, I was, I was, you know, we were, we were there when, when I was doing this and 
I was on the show when it, when it got fired. It was like I walked from the Hotel Commonwealth to Fenway, and it was, you know, everybody was just like jumping for joy because, you know, they felt like, okay, now we can change this culture and we can get this guy out of here and, and start to reload, like I said, not rebuild. And, um, you know, I think there was a, an exult in the, like in the city, you know? Yeah, I yeah. mean, like I said, it, it was a huge relief that it finally happened. I mean, I'm a little stressed out now because I, I feel like we got way too many lefties. You got four lefties in your outfield. Um, you've got, you know, you, you have a yeah, definite so, need for pitching. Yeah, you're, 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 you nailed it, right? So, okay. So what you're going to have to do with that overload of what you're talking about is now, so not only are they going to have to do um, – free agent acquisitions, but you got to do the next guy that comes in is going to have to do some nifty trading, some, 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 some good trades too, you know? So that's going to be part of the equation. No doubt about it, Terrence. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so it's, there's, it's just, there's a lot of cleaning up to do, you know, and, you know, and, and fine tuning. And I, I love William Abreu. I kind of hope he's a part of the future. Hey, I like that. It's a good call, man. I was saying that on Nesson, you know. I was saying, hey, this guy's got a professional man, he's got a good approach. He's, he's got a um he knows the strike zone. Well, it's um how do I say what do I say? I think he said he's got a professional style bat. He's not free swing. He, he's not like a normal minor leaguer that comes up. Is that what I'm saying? He he's got good plate discipline. Yeah. Incredible. Good discipline. plate discipline. Yeah. yeah. So some things you don't necessarily see, you know. Right. And you mentioned Duran. We're kind of split on what we should do. I'm a huge proponent of keeping him. Um, I mean, it's Durant, so or go ahead. We're keep Duran. Uh, so, so this is what I, 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 if I'm, you know, looking at my crystal ball, I say you go out and, you know, Duran has a good year, you know, Hey man, when, if you can make a good trade for him and get something you really need, and you got like a backup outfielder, man, you got you got to strike while the iron's hot, man. Like in in the game of baseball, it's like the stock market, man. That shit goes up and down. Guys go up and down, you know. Right. I mean, I'm playing fantasy football. And guess who got? Guess who I have on my my team? I'm guessing by that comment, you might have uh, struck out with Nick Chubb yep. or Saquon. Yeah, I got both of them. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, so I mean that's <laughs> so that's what my point is, right? So yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you got that that opportunity, and that's that's the tricky part of that GM role, and, and sometimes right. it can make or break, you know. Right. I get what you're saying. You want to sell while his value is is the highest it's ever been. I just, so Terrence, you like Durant. I'm a Durant guy. I just feel like he he okay. reminds me a lot of Ellsbury. Ellsbury would draw more walks, but. I just, okay. you can't even, he was hitting 400 for a couple of months. And obviously that's not who he's going to be forever, but he, he could right. turn a walk into a double by automatically stealing second. And I right. just, I just felt like, you know, the, the opposing pitcher on the mound and, and all the infielders behind him, their anxiety level would just go through the roof as soon as Duran got to first. And I like that. Yeah, that's just what. So, but like I said, I mean, you might have to, and everybody's the Bluminati are saying, Oh, the next guy's going to come in and trade your prospects, but you got so much depth at the major league level that you can trade. Yeah. I mean, Duran could be one of them. 
secretly, right. I've only mentioned this in the last couple of shows. I wouldn't mind if they traded Yoshida. I love Yoshida, but you know, Rafi's a potential future DH. Casas might need to do some DH from time to time. Um, right. Yeah, and I mean, Otani's a future DH. Not saying we're going to go there. We all want Yamamoto. <laughs> who who do you like between those two, Yamamoto or Otani? <laughs> I gotta go with Yamamoto. Man. Yes, but... yes. That... <laughs> That's who uh, exactly who we uh, um, all wanted. You know, man, two Tommy John surgeries. I don't care, and I, and I know Otani could hit, but hit okay. And the reason why I say this is two Tommy John surgeries. That's that's tough to come back from. Not many people do that, right? And, and be themselves, number one, and then so that resorts to just him hitting a lot more. And you get older as a hitter quicker than you do as a pitcher. I, and so give me the young Japanese guy that throws Chino hitters already. I don't know. And he's only 25. So, yeah. yeah. A huge age difference, too. Yeah. You know, you were talking, uh, Jonathan, you were talking. Do you prefer John or Jonathan? What do you prefer? I, either or, man. <laughs> All right, cool. So, John, I want to make sure I, I don't upset you. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about some of the things that we we wish would have been different and we wish could have been changed. And, you just shared that it wasn't a rumor; it's a fact. Like he, we could have purchased some other, some other players and made this team better for 2023. During your time as a ball player, was there anything? If you could do anything over again, is there anything that you would have done differently? One thing. What's the one thing you might have you might have done differently? Um, I would have gone to bed earlier every night. <laughs> I respect that so much. What, what, I respect yeah. that. Did you just That's see what came out with um, Yusei Kikuchi? He he left the game with cramps, and he said that he only got 11 hours of sleep, but he normally gets 13 or 14. <laughs> I don't buy that for a what? second. That's all There's over no Twitter way. right now. <laughs> Yeah, he normally. No hey, I'm gonna go on record again and say <laughs> there's no chance of that. I know exactly. exactly. It's just like the most exactly. extreme uh, thing I've ever heard. Um, all right, well, we won't keep you, but I got to tell you this one thing. I, I'm a card player, and uh, I love Texas Hold'em, and I like cribbage. And you, you must know what cribbage is from being in the clubhouse with Tito and and Francona. Oh, I think we give you. Let me give you a little tour of this right here. Okay. Oh, oh it's a wow. Texas Hold'em table. I love this. Oh, oh my goodness. He's got a casino. Yeah. Crafts, blackjack table. So, you, so you're talking my language now. All right. And okay. um, so I had a Jonathan Papelbon. It was just a regular T-shirt, Red Sox on the front, Papelbon number 58 on the back. And I'd been... It, it seemed to be lucky when I was playing these Texas Hold'em games, and you're damn right it was. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a bigger cribbage guy though. I play at the national level. Okay. It's kind of nerdy. I had a big tournament. I said, you uh, know what? I'm, I'm bringing my Papa Bond shirt. I'm wearing it. I walk in. I pay my entry fee. I have to draw a seat number. I drew seat number fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Hell How yeah, epic is that? How it was epic it was just that? random. Yeah. I had to pull it out of a out of a cup. It was the most random thing ever. And then eight hours later, after 106 players, I won the tournament. It was my second win you ever. You damn right, you won that something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hell yeah! I wore that shirt so much when I played cards, you couldn't you couldn't even see the number or the name on the back anymore. It, so, oh, that is so awesome! Man. I know, and uh, yeah, so I just I couldn't believe it. But I tell that story all the time at tournaments, and and uh, yeah, 
So any well, look, man, next time, next time we do anything at the encore, man, we have a charity tournament, man. I'll be sure to invite you. Okay, man. <laughs> that would be great. For I'll sure, do Texas guys. Hold'em too. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. all right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being thank the greatest John. closer of my lifetime. And thank you for 2007. Charles, thanks, Terrence, good to talk to y'all, man. Best of luck, man. I'll be around. Thanks, thanks a sir. Lot. Take care.